0: Good morning to everyone in petrol station queues, supermarket queues, (laughs) queues to get back into the country, queues to get out of the country, and queues to blame it all on anything but Brexit. It's Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. I'm back from a couple of weeks off, and with me to set up the week ahead is Alex Andreo. Hi, Alex, how are you doing? Morning, Andrea. I'm all right. Glad to hear it. Thank you for thank you for doing the culture bunker with Sean while I was away. It was lovely listening to that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was tremendous. I had a lovely two weeks in your home country where I saw a fantastic innovation of the Greek government, which is when you are found to have committed a parking offence, the police unscrew your license plates and take them away so that you not only have to go to the police station to get your license plates back, but you are ashamed on the road because people can see that you've been parking by me. We should totally do that here.
2: I don't drive, so... I, I, <laughs> I don't drive, I, so I don't care. I, I have no skin in this game, <laughs> <laughs> nor do the petrol shortages. Although I have to say, I live across the road from a petrol station, so the weekend has not been pleasant. There's been an atmosphere. (laughs) Yes, uh, Twitter followers
0: will know that Alex videoed, I think it's called tempers frying on on the forecourt, (laughs) and put it on Twitter, and you're accused of being (laughs) a fake news remainder with your
2: fake news (laughs) remainder petrol station. Yes, I was accused of being a far left Ramona zealot. I think with with exact words like I, you know, like I could make a shell station run out of petrol. Never mind,
0: that Soros money can finance a fake petrol station. You know, it it can happen. Let's get get on to the subject in hand. Let's start with the supply chain crisis, which seems likely to dominate this week and next week and all the way to Christmas. Over the weekend, we saw a government U-turn on visas, 5,000 fuel tanker and food lorry drivers, and 5,500 poultry workers are going to get visas that last till Christmas, but make sure you're out of the country by Christmas morning, Mm. visa people. <laughs> because that you know how dare you be here it's just going to make a difference alex what's what it all mean i mean we're, we're like 90,000 drivers short
2: it's aren't not, we and, it's not going to make a difference at all the gmb union uh, said this morning that the visa changes are like trying to put out a forest fire using a water pistol and i and i think that's actually quite a fair description it is quite literally too little too late too little because the shortages are m- much, much bigger, and too late because the, the uh, Home Office ad- accepts today that they're not going to be able to issue these visas for several weeks still. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they think it's going to work. I don't know that there's the drivers out there that want to come for some sort of short-term gig. As Brexiteers have been pointing out all week, there are shortages of uh, lorry drivers everywhere in the world. They're not as acute as they are here. But the point is, HGV drivers are not short of work in Europe. Hmm. And to offer them a visa only solves a tiny little piece of the the problem. Because as I have been saying for many years, and as the haulage industry have, has been explaining since 2016, it's a sector with quite low profit margins. When you have problems within it, they create a tipping point after which haulage is just not profitable. So if you Cut the area of cabotage, which is the the sort of geographic area from which drivers are allowed to pick up and drop off stuff, to make it so much smaller than the EU, to make it just the British Isles already you're making it less profitable for htv drivers to operate within it if you add to that layers of complexity and border delay etc etc you make it again less profitable to the point where there is an opportunity cost for the drivers and the haulage companies that that are highly transferable because they're literally in a car mm. they can just go and deliver stuff at a much higher profit margin much more efficiently somewhere else across the channel. So you're not solving it. Well, the market will will sort something else by
0: making everybody leave here.
2: So this is what the market is doing, okay? Again, as predicted, when direct employers like Amazon or Tesco um, offer big financial inducements for HEV drivers, what happens is if you keep the borders closed, they just cannibalize driver from other sectors of haulage. So so a couple of months later, we end up with problems in fuel deliveries fuel companies will respond, and we're beginning to see problems in the distribution of pharmaceuticals. For oh. instance, there's a piece in in the newspapers today. There is a scenario in which this affects distribution of flu jabs and vaccine boosters, by the way, which will be a disaster for the government. Then let's say the pharmaceutical sector responds. Next, we might see issues in coach and bus services or school buses, and on it goes, without somehow increasing the supply of labor, you're just squeezing a balloon. And each time the shape changes, a different bit bulges out. (laughs) But the overall volume of uh, uh, air in the balloon doesn't change. You're just squeezing it differently and making it into a different balloon animal. I liked uh, Liam Fox over the weekend saying that
0: because we're outside the EU, uh, we can make make these visa changes uh, quickly. uh, Brexit has enabled us to solve the problems caused by Brexit. It's brilliant, isn't it? 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 Circular logic.
1: It's
2: just impenetrable uh, circular logic to say that we may have created this disaster, but the disaster gives us the opportunity to sort it. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Um, there is a scenario, you know, where the fuel issues peak just around Conservative Party conference, which will be, I think, quite quite a fun thing yeah. to uh, to experience. So, there are plans to draft in the army. I think yes. that will be symbolically quite bad. The government will want to avoid it. Mm. Quasiquateng is relaxing competition rules for the sector. That will help because it basically means that one supplier can deliver to another's Four courts. but there are signs that that it's slightly worse than people ap- appreciate. There was a survey from the petrol retailers association over the weekend that uh, puts the percentage of all independent service stations that have run dry between fifty and eighty-five percent. The Telegraph has uh, done a little bit of work that shows. Most of England's petrol stations are below 20% stock, which means basically two days worth of fuel. So who knows? It could get
0: worse. There's a definite kind of winter of discontent, three-day week mania in the air. We have to see current problems through the the prism of these titanic events, which... Large, not. I mean, I can remember it because I'm old. But large numbers of voters will have this only as kind of secondary or even you know third-hand memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you also get almost get the impression from the papers that, in a kind of perverse way, they sort of want it as another like national trial, a great national trial of strength, kind of thing. We're just entering very strange times.
2: All of that stuff is going to be presented by the right-wing Brexit-supporting press as somehow character-forming because there is nothing else you, you know they have nothing else to go to and it becomes quite quite fashionable to say that maybe we're going back to the 70s i don't think that's true for two reasons i think we are unlikely to see that sort of economic death spiral but also if we do see that kind of economic Uh, death spiral. It will be so much worse than the 70s. Um, You know, in the 70s, we had just entered the European community and we were fostering a good relationship. That was our way out. We were increasing the role of financial services, which are now on the decrease because of Brexit. Hundreds of thousands of people went abroad to work, of course which they now can't do because of Brexit, and we sold almost all public assets, which generated a one-off big boost of money for the state. None of those things are available to us. So let's hope we do not return to the economic situation of the 70s, because I'm not sure how we get out of it, given the circumstances at the moment. The conservative messaging
0: machine was on full, it's not Brexit press at the weekend. Grant Chap saying it's a manufactured crisis. All the outliers say, blaming the media, actually blaming Remainers in the media. Today's mail is leading on, obviously, what is the most important story of the day. Smart motorways don't work. It's it's what everybody's talking about. The likes of us, we tend to sort of look for cracks in the Brexit monolith. Do you think Mm. we might be, you know, as we're about to enter what's going to be a pretty grim autumn... They cancel Christmas earlier every year, have you noticed? Are you starting to see, do you think, that crack in the Brexit monolith?
2: Yes. I mean, the, the polling shows that the opinion is moving. But uh, I think people shouldn't expect politicians to jump on this particular thing. I think politicians, because of what's happened in the last few years, will follow public opinion. They will not attempt to lead it on this issue. And that's probably the right thing to do. I also think we mustn't expect this sort of public Damascene conversion. That's always been a false hope that I think has worked against uh the realpolitik of trying to shift our relationship to Europe to a s you know to an increasingly closer one post Brexit. I don't think the the moment will come where, you know, Brexiters are marched down the street naked while uh you know while Your Amber, fantasies are your while, fantasies, Alex. While Amber Rudd rings a bell behind them. going, shame, shame, shame. That moment won't come. What we can and must do is simply create the intellectual space for people to make different choices at the ballot box, in the privacy of the ballot box, without losing face, without making them feel like twats. That's what we need to do. We need to engineer that space where people can change their mind in private, without feeling they made a disastrous mistake. I know it's more satisfying to make them admit that they've made a disastrous mistake, but A, it's unlikely to happen, and B, it's actually counterproductive. It pushes people into not changing their mind.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: Meanwhile, there's the German election results at the center-left. Mm. SPD has squeaked it with 25.7%, it looks like. The Merkel era isn't quite over. She's going to be Chancellor, possibly even until Christmas, which isn't cancelled in Germany, while they sort out uh, the coalition. So give us the take on this, Alex. What What does it all mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not buying the projections of how difficult it's going to be. I think if a deal uh, is to be done, it could take a long time, but it could also happen very quickly. The preliminary results are in this morning, and we know that the Social Democrats, which are the sort of center-left party in Germany, led by Olaf Scholz, they consolidated their lead compared to the exit polls. So it's not as close as the exit polls had first indicated. They've got 25.7% of the vote. They're almost two percentage points ahead of the Christian Democrat and Christian Social Union partnership. Christian Dem- Democrats are basically in the north and Christian Social Union is in Bavaria. And and they've got 24.1% their they're uh, Predicted around there. Now that's a historic loss of support for them. It should also be pointed out that the Greens have done incredibly well—the highest showing ever, with fourteen point eight percent of the vote. The Free Democrats, which are, I think, it's fair to say, the the closest proxy would be our Liberal Democrat Party, the sort of centrist pro-business, but very liberal, they're only 11.5%. So those two will be the kingmakers, it is expected. The Alternative for Deutschland, very importantly, have uh, suffered a catastrophe. They're much, much, much lower than they were, um, and they're the far-right, sort of Eurosceptic people. So, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's basically a return to centre politics in many, many ways. Well, this is it. We're used to kind of
0: doom-scrolling about the centre-left, aren't we? This is is quite cheering things I wake up to on a Monday morning. De Linke
2: has also dropped, which which is the further left party to the SPD. I mean, the overall trend is a return to centrist pro-European parties. That's what it is. Interesting to contrast to, well, not contrast, to look side by side with the Norwegian election, which just happened uh, about 10 days ago, where precisely the same thing went on. Again, uh, votes shifted from the more uh, extreme sides of both uh, uh, wings of politics towards the centre, and the centre-left came out on top whereas the centre-right had been on top before. So maybe there's a pattern forming, but of course, two is not a, a sufficient sample. So Merkel's centre-right CDU took a bit of a pounding on the
0: projections. Mm. It's down to an all-time low at 24.1%. What's this going to say about her,
2: her legacy? I, I think, weirdly, it says good things. She led... First of all, she led for a large chunk of that, a grand coalition between the two parties that um, have, you know, command the most support. The second thing it says, I think, was that much more of the success of the CDU-CSU partnership was down to her personally, rather than what the party was offering to people. I think the other thing it says is that, The pandemic has been a very, you know, volatile period politically. And what we're seeing is, in many cases, the party that was in power during it being rejected at the ballot box, whether they they did well or not. It seems to me almost like, you know, like when people come out of a crisis and they end up uh, their relationships end up breaking up because they want nothing that kind of reminds them of what went yeah. on. Um, so I I don't know. There's a good profile on Olaf Scholz in the Guardian today. I, I'd encourage people to read it. He's very Gordon Brown esque, it seems to me. He's sort of very steady as she goes economically. Uh, but quite socially liberal. The right-wing media, of course, are already describing him as a Brexit basher, based on a comment he made that Brexit was the result of profound social insecurity. As if that's something that's debatable. That's their own <laughs> argument. That's the precedent. That own. That's that what that they is say. Precisely what I was thinking when yeah. I read that Daily Mail piece. That for years they've broadly accepted, celebrated, even that this is why Brexit happened. Until, of course, it is said by a German. <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of the centre-left, we've got two more days of the Labour conference in Brighton. It's been pretty bruising so far. Internal squabbling over future le- leadership elections. The general public were entranced by this. They loved it. Angela <laughs> Rayner. Oh, they couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. Kids in the street talking about OMOF. Oh, amazing. Uh, Angela Rayner criticised for slagging the Conservatives of scum. Constant criticism from the left of Starmer. Yet the leadership did pull off a modification of the leadership election rules much of the consternation of the left. No more three-pound voters. You're going to need 20% of MPs to nominate a candidate. What what did you think, Alex? Let's see
2: how Starmer's speech goes, closing the conference. I think, depending on that, he could be seen to have had a good conference, if that that Hmm. goes well. I would want us, me and you, and our listeners, to take a, a moment to absorb a basic fact. Under our electoral system, Starmer as the leader of the opposition is still the only likely challenger to Johnson to be the next prime minister. I think if you take that on, if you absorb that, just like people like me absorbed it with regard to Corbyn in 2019, and I made a conscious decision to shut up and toe the line because Corbyn was the only realistic chance of not getting a Johnson government even though I had problems with Corbyn himself. So I think we've just, we just become so expert at punching ourselves in the, in the face that it can be quite difficult to stop. But we have to stop. I mean, at the moment, many things can go differently. But at the moment, it looks like the choice for prime minister will come down to Johnson or Starmer is going to be one of those two people running the country. So I think everyone has to take a moment and take a breath and think, which one of those two people do I want running the country? The answer, by the way, I'm not saying that it's intellectually dishonest to decide, having thought about that, that you can't stomach a Starmer government and you must continue to heckle from the sidelines or you must switch your support to the Greens or whatever it is you want to do. I think all those things are solid and intellectually honest and perfectly honorable, provided you have taken the time to think of the choice in those stark choices, in those stark terms. If you have thought about the choice and made that decision, absolutely fine. But let's not just continue to bash each other just out of habit, just because that's what we've always fucking done. Before we move on from this, what is Angela Rayner up to? And she pulls
0: this this rant against the Tories, which seem to be directed only to the Labour left membership. It's the kind of thing that makes a floating voter go do I want to have anything to do? You know, If you're saying to floating voters that they have voted for scum and morons, it's not very persuasive, is it? And at the same time, she's doing this kind of glam interview at the Sunday Times.
2: Mm. What is she playing at? Okay, so to uncouple things, I think it's perfectly okay to have Starmer saying, that's not my way, but for him to have someone like Rainer next to him for whom it is the way. I don't think that the massive fissure that everyone portrays it at. I think she's talking to an entirely different demographic. And I think a lot of the stuff in this row seems to me to be as much about class and gender than anything else. Rainer has expressed herself like a working class Northern woman. And everyone has clutched their pearls because we have reached a point in our politics where it's acceptable for a politician to be a lying scumbag but it's somehow frowned upon to say it. I wrote a piece about a decade ago about how the left is trapped in the language of the right, sort of con- constrained by this veneer of public school politesse to never express its anger. But look around. Why shouldn't people be angry? You know, and why why should the left not express that anger somehow? Putting all of that aside, putting all of that aside, I think what Rainer is doing is positioning herself for a leadership contest because basically Andy Burnham is doing it. So Andy Burnham is definitely gearing up as a a, a, a leadership candidate and has forced Angela Rayner's hand in also trying to jostle for um, poll
0: position. Giving the electorate more of what they love. Labour party squabbling and advising.
2: I listen I don't I I think that's received wisdom Andrew. I don't think um you know someone c- calling them lying scum will go down badly. As you know my guide in all those things is my partner who is interested in politics but doesn't follow it as closely as obsessively as we do and his view was well they are she's just telling the truth. I don't know that there's not many, many people who feel that, and I don't know that it doesn't fill a gap because everyone, uh, you know, not everyone, but large segments of the voting public think Starmer is rather bloodless and rather too even-tempered. You know, and sometimes it's quite smart to farm out that kind of sentiment because you're effectively facing both ways. You're saying, look, we are very angry, but the person at the top is a sort of steady one. I think that's quite a happy political marriage and I don't agree with those that presented as a massive...
0: Well, in, um, in our happy political marriage, Alex, uh, you and I <laughs> are going to have to di- agree to disagree on that one. Finally, we like to keep the listeners across absolutely everything that matters. It's going to be naughty's revival time as well as seventies revival time as the 15-year-old phone hacking scandal returns to court. Mel C from the Spice Girls, Shane from Boyzone, Hannah from S Club 7 and Ian and Lee from Steps. The company insists that the phone hacking was only ever connected to the defunct news of the world, but Rupert Murdoch has spent hundreds of millions of... Pounds in legal fees over the last decade settling cases like this should be good retro stuff are you looking forward to a a week
2: of looking back at the the media excesses of the 2000s pay them pay them immediately or they might have to do a reunion concert of some sort <laughs> <laughs> to just give them money straight away there i mean look there's been a lot of Uh, wrangling in the background for the last decade, settling of cases, paying of millions. And I guess there were always going to be a few cases that, uh, you know, the the litigant didn't uh, want to settle for the amount they were being offered. It's possible that, you know, because the people you described were big potatoes back then Mm. when the, the phone hacking scandal was going on. So it is entirely possible that the invasion of their pri- privacy was A, much more egregious, and B, much more extensive, and C, had a, a, a fundamental effect on their career. So it's possible that, you know, there's an argument to be made that it destroyed their careers. I don't know exactly what their claims are, but there was always going to be a sort of long tail of claims that wouldn't accept the settled money that they were being offered and were going to go to court. And that's what we will see now. The the interesting thing is whether disclosure brings to light more damaging internal documents from what was going on at the time and how that affects Murdoch's reviving, in some ways, fortunes and his efforts to launch some sort of television, global TV station. He just signed um, Piers Morgan, of course. To yes, do Piers a... Morgan,
0: not unconnected with this particular scandal.
2: Yes. So nightmare scenario for them. Some memo <laughs> emerges between Piers Morgan and Rupert Murdoch that says yeah. things that are very damaging. So maybe the launching of the legal case is is the last throw of the dice of the litigants as well, maybe by launching the legal case and asking for disclosure, they will finally get the money they wanted out of uh, News Corporation.
0: Buy your popcorn now if you can find any in the petrol station that you can't get into. (laughs) And that's the end. I'll start your week for this week. Remember, listeners, if you liked it, why not forward it to three like-minded friends? Use the little share button on your app right now. It's dead easy. It's a great way to spread the word about the bunker and help us keep on keeping on. By the way, shout out to Patreon backer Alice Meray, who says these Start Your Week episodes are among my favourites amongst your various pods. They must be a total pain in the bum to do, so thank you very much. Not that much of a pain in the bum, are they, Alex? They, They are an absolute pleasure to do. They are indeed. You too, listeners, can join Alice if you sign up to support us on Patreon. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast for early ad free editions and loads more. Thanks for listening. Alex, thanks for getting up early. Thanks for having me. I'm off to fight a pensioner for the last box of fridge raiders in the shop. <laughs> we will see you tomorrow for the panel show. Goodbye.
2: The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Jan Sofroniewicz audio production was by me alex reese theme tune by kenny dickinson the bunker is a podmasters production